0: I'm Sean McCambridge, Managing Director of Stellar Recruitment. Thanks for joining me on this journey to uncover the secrets of Inspirational lives. The reason I put this together is to share the unique journeys of these successful individuals and really unpack how they've achieved success and hopefully inspire others to do similar things. So thanks for tuning in and listening and I hope you enjoy the series. Uh, Well, Kate, thanks for joining us today uh, as part of the Inspirational Leaders uh, podcast series. Really appreciate you giving your time and and sharing your journey. We might just sort of start with, uh, who is Kate Daly? Where did it all start? Where are you from? Um, A bit about yourself, perhaps.
1: Yeah, sure. I really mostly spent most of my life in Auckland. I was born here, and I've lived here apart from a stint overseas when we lived in London for four and a half years. I've got three kids, a daughter and two boys, and I've spent really most of my professional career working in the HR and communications fields, despite having a commerce degree in economics and a science degree in pharmacology. So I never set out to work in HR or comms. It was just something I sort of fell into. But certainly having a commerce degree in economics and international finance was my, my minor, was, has been really helpful in terms of working in corporates. And, you know, I guess it, sort of re- more recently I've moved into boards. I've, I've taken on a few board positions. I've previously been on the um, Equal Employment Opportunities Trust, the Auckland Chamber of Commerce. And at the moment I am on the Auckland Rugby Union, the Blues, and also tuputai which is a recently formed organisation focused on creating Uh, corporate career paths, the Maori and Pacifica.
0: Great. I mean, you obviously got an awful lot you're focused on and dedicated to. Talk to us about the 21-year-old version of Kate versus obviously what we see here today.
1: Yeah, look, at at 21, (laughs) I really had no idea what I wanted to do from a career perspective. I actually, I didn't have huge of aspiration to be a career woman. I didn't know what HR or communications were, and I really you know, didn't have a huge amount of confidence that I was going to go on and and be able to lead big teams and, and sit around, and, you know, the executive of a large organisation. The parts that I think are still the same would be that I like to have fun. I enjoy socialising with friends and family and, and I've always been fairly down to earth and, and pragmatic. So that hasn't changed. But I think the one thing that's changed the most really is becoming and growing more comfortable being a leader of large teams and really learning how to coach for success and and building a team of highly capable independent leaders rather than feeling like I have to do it all, which is probably at 21 it was very much about personal success and and delivering in my role for me as opposed to having a broader organisational view of what success looked like.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's great that you've obviously uh, taken that step change towards uh, not feeling as if you've got to do everything yourself and empowering and growing people around you. But I'm really interested to understand how you've built confidence as a leader and become more comfortable as a leader. Is there anything you can sort of unpack there?
1: I I think it's, you know, actually, as, as you get older, it becomes less and less about you and more and more about others. And I think your emotional intelligence grows a lot and... One of the things that I've realized certainly in the last ten to fifteen years is that you achieve so much more if you have a great team of people around you than you do by trying to do it yourself. because if you hire people that are like you or you build people who just you you hire people who just want to do what you want them to do, you're never actually going to deliver an outcome better than what you can do. And if you have five or six people, who all have very diverse viewpoints and, and bring different skills and experience, you're actually going to deliver a far superior outcome to the business and ultimately for yourself. Um, and I think it's embracing that getting, you know, I always look for people that are better than me in, in areas of subject matter expertise and being really open to learning and listening and being really comfortable hiring people who technically are stronger than you in areas because, you know, if you know where you're weak and you know what your gaps are, um, you know, and being open to that, it gives you a lot more um, comfort and the people around you a lot more comfort knowing that you've got someone who's exceptional. And I think that, you know, gives you a lot more confidence. It's really, you know, growing and, and enjoying working with other people and enjoying watching their contribution and enjoying having them feel part of the success that, you know, as a team, we all feel it is really important to me. And, I, you know, perhaps it wasn't so important when I was younger.
0: Just taking that a step further, you, you, you're part of the executive leadership team of a business that employs 20,000 people across 40 countries. You've worked for CCA, Deutsche Bank, Merrill Lynch, other major organisations further to your board uh, portfolio now. Um, what did you What do you honestly think that you'd uh, set out to achieve? Well, what was your vision on your career earlier on? And and, and was there a tipping point where you thought, well, maybe maybe I can strive to achieve some of the stuff you've uh, you've since achieved in your career?
1: Well, to to be honest, and I you know when when people ask me that question, I give the answer. They always find it a bit amusing. But actually, I wasn't a particularly career focused younger person. I really didn't actually know what HR or comms were. I I really didn't set out to become a big corporate leader. I just sort of, my, my career has just evolved actually through organisations. And I think, in a way, not having a career plan has helped me land where I am today because I had no idea what HR and comms were. I mean, I started my career really seriously probably at Sky City as a business analyst and you know, and I was working in health and safety and that happened to be part of HR and I happened to get a role as a business analyst in HR. You know, and one day someone said, would you like to try comms? And I sort of said, yeah, why not? So I think, you know, it's almost because I didn't have a career plan that I've actually ended up doing something that I really love and enjoy. Because every job that's come along, I've always looked it in and thought, you know, what can I learn? Because I've always been a person who really loves learning and, and you know, the mental challenge of learning a new industry or, or feeling uncomfortable by, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and going into a new organisation and, and being completely, you know, naive in terms of what you understand. So so I've always looked for learning challenges and agility and, and the career has just sort of fallen into place really as I've moved through it. So... I think sometimes people can be really fixated on I need to do three years in this role and then I'm going to move on to that role for two years and then I'm going to do five years there. I've just always had a philosophy as long as I'm learning and as long as I'm really enjoying myself and as long as I still think I'm adding value, then, you know, I just focus on what I'm doing and let the rest really take care of itself.
0: Uh, absolutely. I mean. Uh, If you didn't have a clear vision, but you did have a desire to keep learning, step outside your comfort zone and make sure you're adding value, putting your humbleness aside, um, is there any other attributes you believe have been pivotal in allowing you to get to where you've got
1: to? Oh, I mean, I'm very results-focused. I I think it's very difficult to be successful if you're not because ultimately, you know, you you need to deliver results to the business. I'm very commercial, um, you know, I really, really contribute at the highest level to the commercial decision-making within the business. So my peers see me, you know, as a commercial thinker and, you know, everything we deliver really helps the business make money. So I'm very, very clear in terms of what our team sets out to deliver every year. And when we build our strategy, we understand what those initiatives are going to deliver in terms of helping the business grow and they're really aligned to what our our leadership team wants from us in terms of building people capability in the right areas. You know, that that's probably when I look at the profession, what I think the biggest opportunity for us is is that commercial thinking and, you know, being very results focused and orientated, understanding the business and being able to participate around the leadership team from not just a People in a communications perspective, but also bringing commercial thinking to it. So I would say those would be the two of the um, capabilities that you know I think my peers would say they really value.
0: Further to that, based on your involvement uh, on your various boards, and you're part of the executive leadership team at Fletcher's, including you know talented people like Sir Ralph Norris. In your opinion, um, what does it take to become a, a successful leader? You know, is, is there a formula? Is there anything you can share in that regard?
1: Actually, as, as I've gone through and seen some great leaders in action, I've been very lucky to um, work alongside some amazing leaders, um, and you know, including the likes of Sir Ralph. And you know, many of our board members are, are very successful business leaders in their own right. Mark, you know, my previous managing director, George, at Coke, and a couple of the people I worked for in London were phenomenal leaders. And what I've observed that they do, and they do incredibly well, is that they build teams of really talented individuals around them who have a diverse skill set that really enable that high performance that can't be achieved, you know, by an individual. They really coach, they challenge, they support when needed, needed, but they're also equally very decisive and bold in their decision-making. And I think the one characteristic that a great leader has, which is often very underestimated in my view, is listening. I think great leaders listen and they reflect and they analyse and they don't reach or jump to conclusions. They actually, you know... Really listen and sit back almost, and then when they're needed to call in to make the decision or act, they do.
0: Taking that to a bit more of a personal level, you know, there's some great insights there in terms of what you've observed and others. And maybe this might be a bit of a precursor to my next question, but what's your? How would you define your your own personal leadership brand, or what, you know, do you have any sort of core philosophies or values as a leader?
1: Uh, well, I'm I'm really collaborative. I really believe in, you know, our strategy set by our team. We've got a two day offset site next week. We get together every year and we really debate what we think is important for us as a function and to deliver to the business. So I, I work very collaboratively. You know, being a strong, high performing team is very important to me. So my expectations of my team is that they work collaboratively together and that we all work in a really open way and a very supportive way of each other. So that's really, really important to me. I think, you know, on top of that, integrity and honesty, I need to be able to trust the people that work with me. I'm very open in what I share. You know, I often talk quite openly about some of the challenges that we're having, you know, in the business. And I need to know that that I can trust them to be confidential with what we talk about. I value people who challenge me. You know, I really value people who say look I know you've got a strong view on that but I just I'm not sure you know let's talk about it a bit more so I do really enjoy that I enjoy the intellectual debate you know and challenge that you that you get from employing really strong people so I definitely you know look for that I'm a a fairly strong direct leader so you know I I I do absolutely lead from the front and, you know, I have views and and I share them and I look look to others to challenge and support or support. But once we've reached a a decision, when we leave the room, we all support each other and whatever that is. You know, listening is something that I I always work hard on. Um, You know, you always get feedback and it's one area that, you know, I'm really trying to work on and, and make sure that as a team we all listen to each other you know, appropriately, and, and that we reflect as well.
0: Great dynamics here in terms of see how you've uh, you know, brought through the, uh, I guess your own leadership brand and, and uh, obviously that's culminated in the success achieved so far. But you know, w- what do you what do you do? What you do? You, you you've got a family. Obviously, there's a lot competing for your time. But w- what drives you as a leader? Why do you why do you aspire to be a leader?
1: Oh, I love. Um, I really enjoy making a difference. I love the intellectual stimulation of working in a business. I love the challenge, Um, you know, Fletcher Building. It is a very dynamic business. We have, you know, 35-odd business units. So you're really in a portfolio management role. So you have to be able to manage your time well. You need to have, you know, people who perform at a pretty high level so that you can trust and delegate a lot of, you know, responsibility to them for their divisions and their business units to make sure they're making the right team. So, you know, I I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy seeing the work we do change lives. And we've done a huge amount of work around diversity and youth and employment, particularly in New Zealand. And, you know, that gives me a real thrill. I love seeing, you know, young kids who have been an a period of time, never worked, coming into our business and finding the confidence to have a career and have a job that they enjoy and that they want to make a difference to both the company and the country. And I think, you know, those are the sorts of things that I can make a difference and I, I really enjoy that.
0: Great answers, great answers. You mentioned before that you didn't necessarily have a clear vision of your career in the beginning and maybe looking back, it may make a little bit more sense. As you look back over your career so far, What were some of your best career moves and why?
1: I think probably the role at Merrill Lynch. I mean, I started there in the private bank in 2001. It was before September the 11th. And, you know, back then, the way the private bank was structured, we had had a lot of exposure to the equity market. And then, you know, September the 11th happened and we lost billions of dollars of of private client wealth literally overnight overnight. And from that point on, you know, we needed to really restructure the business and it was Europe, Middle East and Africa. um, And that was a very challenging, you know, Europe was particularly challenging to drive change. The workers' councils are are very hard to influence. We had a huge amount of work to do resizing in in the Middle East and culturally that was quite challenging uh, both for them and for me as a, a female and, Then within London, you know, we went through a massive HR change and, you know, we really challenged the way our operating model worked. So it was very, very hard, very, very long hours, a lot of travel, but I learned so much about restructuring, the importance of change management, the importance of really looking innovatively at business solutions and moving at pace to implement them. Because, you know, working for an American investment bank is a very, very challenging, uh, can be a very challenging environment. And, you, you know, a lot is expected of you. And, you know, I think I just learnt so much in that role. It was it was fantastic.
0: So It sounds like out of a, a rather difficult and unfortunate uh, economic uh, scenario, use it as an opportunity to really sort of develop your skills and sort of throw yourself into it and not within the hard work and, and what I went into, it. it was a tremendous opportunity to, to shape some unique skills and get some great experience.
1: Absolutely. It was just a one-off. I mean, you just don't get the chance to do that type of wholesale change in that environment. Uh, very often, I had a fantastic leader at the time, and you know, she really challenged me and, and was fantastic. So it was a, just a really great learning, and it was just at a really good time where really took me to the next level in terms of experience and exposure to executives, the need to work commercially and really think about the business as a commercial entity and then develop your HR strategy or your restructuring change program around that. So it was just a really fantastic 18-month learning period.
0: How have you, um, how have you built your portfolio of skills uh, as a leader? You know, has there been any education, mentors, networks that have played a pivotal part in your journey, you know, to where you are now in sea C-level position?
1: 360-degree um, feedback's been great. Uh, we all do it, and, you know, you just get such valuable feedback from people around you, and, you know, the feedback's always given with, you know, good intention, and, and I think you get a lot of feedback on what you're doing really well, but most importantly, you get feedback on what you can do better, and it, I've always embraced that I've always you know as I've tried to be a better leader and tried to be be you know deliver more to the business I've really always looked for that you know what do I need to change and and what do I do that works and what do I do that doesn't work so very focused on that I've had some great feedback and that's really helped shape me and and you know given me some things to think about I read a lot I read a lot of literature I do quite a lot of research on the internet around topics if I'm thinking of things I'll go in to the RBL website um, or I'll go and look at Harvard see if, if there's any sort of research or literature so I read quite a lot you know I'm a bit slack I need to probably go and do some personal and professional development away from work and give myself a bit of you know away time to think about and develop my development in the next phase, but that's something I just haven't really had the time to do. With a young family, it's quite hard and the busy job to sort of walk away for, you know, three or four weeks. But it's probably something I should do in the next few years. Just a bit
0: of a takeaway from, uh, from that feedback. Uh, what's, your, what, what's been the book that's inspired you the most uh, on leadership or, or had the biggest impact uh, on you?
1: Um, I don't know, actually. I mean, I th- I think I read a lot of Dave Ulrich's stuff on uh, a lot of his literature around HR and organisation and the evolving role of leaders. So I, I, I tend to read quite a lot of his. I mean, I, I've obviously read some of the Jack Welsh books. Look, I just try to read a, a broad range because I think you pick up um, two or three bits from each one and I tend to read articles as opposed to books. I read books personally, but I tend to find, you know, a five-page summary article from the, from the HBR or something like that will give me the, you know, the thinking I need, or that short hit of sort of stimulation I need to think about that specific topic.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we've talked a lot about the, the highlights, the successes. Uh, like any leader, I'm sure there's been some challenging times in your career. Uh, Can you talk about any of the mistakes or challenges you've faced and and how you've dealt with
1: it? Yeah, I mean, everyone makes mistakes. And, you know, I've just always felt accountability is probably the biggest one, you know, is is taking accountability and, and fixing it where you can. I think my biggest challenges have been probably around leadership, where I've worked for people who, you know, weren't particularly supportive or weren't particularly committed to to the people strategy or the change strategy I was trying to drive and that was very difficult because you know as a leader if you're not aligned if you and the CEO or you and your business partner are not aligned and you're not really driving in the same direction it can be quite isolating quite lonely and you feel quite frustrated you have a view on what needs to happen and they have a completely different view so I think probably the biggest challenge for me has been working for people where we're just on a different page. And, you know, one in on, on one of those circumstances, I just took myself out of the equation and changed jobs and all the time that person changed. But I think, you know, that, that because their relationship, their business partner relationship is so important to me, that if, if I'm not aligned to someone, that, that's a bit of a deal breaker, really. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Um, with executive leadership roles or leadership roles in general what you touched on it comes with accountability comes with a lot of responsibility and I think driven leaders uh, place a lot of expectation on their performance and and the outcomes they're seeking to achieve and and put a lot of pressure on themselves do you have any tips for managing stress or the demands of being an an executive and, and, and attempting to maintain some form of Harmony. Obviously, you're, you're a mother, further to being a, an executive. Uh, any tips uh, on that front?
1: Look, I, you you. It's being part of the executive. You you are absolutely acutely aware of your responsibilities to deliver to your shareholder and the board, and and there is a huge amount of pressure. You always have that weight of performance expectation on your shoulders, and, and I think you know. Once you lose that, you're probably not the right person for the role because you need to have that feel that pressure and feel that expectation to ensure you're always at the top of your game trying to deliver solutions that are going to create returns that your shareholders want. It is hard to switch off and I think you know the way we live today generally makes that very hard. You know people are on their um, devices a lot more often. But it's given me, in a way, a bit more freedom. So I I am very clear, you know, I try and leave the office by five every night, five, quarter past five. I get home, spend some time with the kids. I'm also the resident dog walker. So, you know, I take the dog for a walk and, you know, one of the kids will scoot with me or ride their bike and we have a chat while we go and do take take him out. So, um, you know, I think I try and find balance that way and then, You know, every evening I get back on again about 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night because that works for me. So I try and get a bit of balance that way. I always take all of my holidays. You know, all of my holidays are sort of really spent with the family. You know, we enjoy skiing. So we always try and have a week or two skiing a year somewhere. So Fantastic. I mean, further to the
0: exercise... uh Walking the dog, and obviously the
1: opportunity to maybe
0: decompress and, and connect with uh, one of your children. I- anything else that you do to sort of balance? I'm sure that you know the phone calls and emails never stop. Not to stab- see uh, your mind ticking over, which is maybe the harder thing to control. Anything else you do to to try and maintain a healthy balance?
1: I go to the gym. I, I'm I am quite a hyperactive person. I um I I and I never I've just never sat still. I've never been even as a child. You know, I used to swim quite competitively. So I was always up early in the morning. And, you I know, played a bit of water polo. and So I've always played a lot of sport. And I just don't in the weekends. I'm just not the sort of person who goes to bed in the afternoon for a couple of hours. It just, I'm always busy and I quite enjoy that. So, you know, I enjoy having friends over. I enjoy cooking. And, you know, I actually, set, you know, I just enjoy being busy. So I'm just not the, you know, lie by the pool. Person for a week, you know, my ideal holiday would be skiing or, or travelling and exploring and doing stuff like that.
0: Now, what I'm taking from that is uh, you've worked out what works best for you and you manage accordingly. So, so some uh, takeaways there. Um, you've got a lot going on at any given time. Um, you know, further, you know, like we talked about, further to be uh, a mum and part of a family and, and uh, the many boards you, you're on and, and obviously the role that you perform day in, day out. What rituals or practices do you adopt uh, to get the most out of every day?
1: I get back on the internet, on my um, emails every night about 8, 8.30. I'm very, very, you know, focused on getting my inbox cleared that night. I never leave a day with more than probably 15, 20 emails in my inbox. So I'm highly organised from that perspective. And I know that when I get up in the morning, There'll be some emails that might have come in from the international businesses overnight. But, you know, I know what my diary looks like. I've done all my reading for the next day. I've got my presentation sorted. So I never, ever hit a day not organised and not knowing where I need to go and making sure I've got the right documentation that I need. And, I've you know, that I find incredibly helpful. And then, you know, I make sure I've got time couple of days a week to drop the kids off to school because that's another good time where we chat about school in the car and you know have a talk about the day ahead and things that might be worrying them and things like that and if I can you know it doesn't present itself very often but you know if my diary's free at three o'clock I'll go and pick them up and you know and just leave so you know enjoy spending time with them you know my team have great flexibility they know that I know it's important to them and it's important to me that they have good work-life balance as well. So, you know, I encourage that and, you know, I think part of that is to actually practice what you preach. So that would be another thing that I, I try and do is get out to sports events and things like that and make time in my diary to do those little things that are sort of quite important to the kids.
0: Some great practices there. Uh, I'm going to shift the question to the, the one that maybe some people struggle to define but how do you personally define success in your eyes what is success
1: you've got to feel like you're making a difference and for me it's about knowing that when I come to work every day the actions I take and the decisions I make are actually having a benefit to the shareholder they're having a benefit to the employees and actually having a benefit to New Zealand and the communities that we're working in. So for me, you know, that's what success looks like. And also, you know, trying to find that balance of being a really good leader and someone that people want to come and work for and and someone that people find inspirational um, and supportive and also going home and, you know, not taking some of the stress home with me and actually being quite a fun mum and someone that the kids enjoy hanging out with.
0: Great. Have you, has that that always been easy? I mean, I I think a lot of leaders, and particularly ones that have got a lot uh, expected of them and their their work, trying to to have that demarcation between work and home is is challenging. In my own perspective, have you sort of learned to get better at that, I guess?
1: Oh, it it is. You live in a world of compromise, (laughs) and you know, you're either compromising at home or you're compromising at work. It's you. You know, I just don't believe you can have it all. I once, you know, went to a seminar once where, you know, very successful sort of female leader stood up and said, you know, you can have it all. But when you actually drill into it, you know, you have to outsource a huge amount of what you do to be, you know, able to even find balance, let alone have it all. Because I think, you know, sometimes there are days when the kids say to me, you know, why can't you come to school? Why aren't you like the other mothers? You know, why aren't you able to come and do baking at school and do all the field trips and all of that sort of stuff? I want you to be like them. And then, you know, you come to work and you're sort of, you know, sorry, I can't make that meeting. I've got to rush off and try and do this. So I think, you know, you you have to get very used to the fact that life's going to be chaotic and you're always going to be compromising and you just have to try and make the best decision you can, and know that you're going to disappoint someone at some point and that's okay. Because actually, kids learn a bit of resilience when, you know, things aren't always handed to them, and they understand that you have to work. And I've got two boys and a, and a girl, and I look at it, and you know, I hope I'm role modelling to the boys that they can have wives who work, and they should support their wives when they get married. And you know, for my daughter, that she aspires to have a career, and she feels comfortable knowing that you can. You know, find a way to make it all work. So, look, it's chaotic and it's very hard, and you need to be really organised. You need to outsource stuff. You know, I outsource the cleaning. You know, we have an au pair who lives in and she does the kids' washing and their housework. She does the majority of the pickups, drop-offs, and she cooks their dinner. And then we focus on the the housework. But you know, it, it's just a, a cycle of compromise, really, and trying to do the best you can. and you know not overcommitting, and that's probably one of my biggest challenges is i say yes to everything when people ask me if i can help out you know i'll say yep sure i'll do that so i think you know sometimes saying no and and giving yourself the permission to say no to things is, is quite important
0: yes great answers there about what i particularly like is you're conscious of not only being a role model at work but you're conscious of being a role model to your kids and i think as a leader goes beyond the, the boardroom, so to speak. I think mm. arguably our most important role as leaders is is the impact that we have on our kids. And also, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're dead right, in terms of uh, a lot of competing things for your time. So why not try and outsource uh, some uh, activity yeah. so you can attempt to have quality time with uh, people that matter, you know, most mm. your, your family. So um, what do you want the kids to, to say about Mum in terms of, uh, you know, that legacy or that role model that you're attempting to leave
1: behind you? You know, I want them, you know, when they're older to say that, um, you know, they're proud of what I've achieved, that they came through unscathed and and the fact that I chose to have a career and and not be at home full time, you know, hasn't had a negative impact on them and and in fact, hopefully it's helped them because they'll be a bit more independent and they'll understand the importance of, of needing to work to earn money because we talk about that a lot. You know, everything in life is about hard work and, you know, if you you want to do well, you have to work hard and, you know, to work hard, you've got to commit yourself to often more than just one thing. So I hope that they'll have a good work ethic built into them where they understand the importance of work and applying yourself um, and being the best you can. And, you know, we have one of our children has quite a severe learning difficulty and, You know, I say to him, look, the only thing that matters on your report is the effort line. All I care about is how hard you're trying. I actually don't care about your score, your marks, and whether you're failing. I just care about effort, and we talk about that a lot with the children. It's about your effort and applying yourself and giving it everything you've got, and I think they would look back and say, Mum gave it everything she had, and, you know, when she talked about that with us, we could see her applying the same rules to herself. You know, I totally agree.
0: I think if teach your kids maybe just two things i think it's work ethic and attitude and if they've got work ethic and the right attitude i think hopefully the rest sort of takes care of itself so uh, you've you've covered a bunch of really interesting and valuable aspects today kate just in in summarizing or concluding is there any other tips or aspect you might leave the listeners with uh, in terms of aspiring leaders that are looking to sort of emulate what you've done or emulate what other leaders have done any other tips to pass on
1: Yeah, look, the only thing, you know, other thing I'd say is is to young people is just don't try and overmanage it. Enjoy what you do. Really focus on creating diverse and high-performing teams around you. Look to people around you who are successful and and try and understand what it is that makes them successful and, and look for, you know, opportunities where you can learn from them. Um, because I think learning is just in keeping that growth agility is just the most important thing you can do. Be really open to feedback when people say, you know, we want to give you some feedback, don't get defensive, take it on board. Because if you can't learn and you you can't learn from your mistakes and you can't learn as to how you can improve, you'll never be a great leader. Cause you know, I genuinely believe you can make a leader better, but you can't make it the leader. And Um, if you're not prepared to really open your mind and learn what impact you have on others and and understand how you can improve that, you're going to struggle. You know, just be really comfortable with who you are. You know, I often see, you know, young people and they're they're far too ambitious. They want to be the CEO by the time they're 29. It's not going to happen. It just won't happen. Unfortunately, as much as you want it to happen, and it might do in the small tech startups and all those small companies, if you're going to work in a large corporate, you really have to work hard and you have to earn the promotion and good things will come. Don't try and manage up too much and be the person who's always, you know, um, greasing up to the manager. Just work hard, deliver and focus on improving yourself and everything else will take care of itself.
0: Some great answers. and really appreciate you uh, being open and sharing some of your journey. Uh, congratulations on everything you've achieved, uh, Kate. And thanks again for for sharing some of the things that you've uh, you've learnt along the way, and all the best for what comes next. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Pleasure. I hope somewhere someone's taken something from it.
0: Hundred percent. I've got no doubt. So uh, thanks again, Kate.